Welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast, where our highly experienced team of in-depth thinkers and other experts share their insights on a range of investment-related topics. In this podcast, we have conversations about developments in South African and global markets and what these may mean for investors. We analyze specific stocks and sectors and explore general themes relating to the fundamental principles that underpin sound investment decisions in an ever-changing world. It's the end of August 2022, and just over five years since the launch of the Denker Sondheim Collective Investments Balanced and Stable Funds. In this episode, the co-managers of these funds, Madeleine Sessions and Jan Mankies, talk about their strategies, their strong focus on risk management, regrets, and how the greater investment team at Denker Capital is integrated in our multi-asset fund processes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest in a series of Denker Capital podcasts. My name is Nigel Barnes, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Madelette Sessions and Jan Mankies from the Denker team. Madelette heads up the multi-asset business within Denker. Um, welcome, Madelette. Maybe for the benefit of the listeners, you could just give us a quick recap um, as to how the multi-asset business within Denker sits and what does it comprise of in terms of funds and, and strategies? Right. Thank you very much. Um, so multi-assets, we have two products, the high equity balanced fund and the low equity stable fund. Uh, the balanced fund is really leveraging the skill set of the entire business, building on bottom-up company fundamentals for a long-term return profile. And then my job is to make sure that we have a risk management process in place that takes the tails out of the outcomes inherent in equity investments. We have long-term horizon. It is really a pre-retirement product, um, and it is currently still quite small, but we have a five-year track record in place where really that track record has been built on the success of the underlying team's processes. Um, the stable fund is a low equity product. It is really a post-retirement product. One of the things that we take very seriously across both products is the risk management. And for a person who has regular income withdrawals or a sort of capital stability mandate, low risk mandate, uh, that is something that we take very seriously and stable. We try to minimize drawdown. We try to ensure risk-adjusted returns. Uh, and I think the numbers show, if you look at comparisons of our drawdowns and risks compared to other funds in our categories, we have delivered on our mandate of risk-adjusted returns. Okay, perfect. So balanced for pre-retirement, looking for growth, and um, with a with a risk management overlay, and stable post-retirement drawdown capital protection. That's what we're looking at here in terms of the multi-asset proposition. Well, one thing I would add, yes, absolutely, that is the multi-asset proposition with the one proviso is that both funds completely avoid macroeconomic forecasting as a source of return. Okay. The source of return for balanced is our stock picking process. That is what we put on the table for the pre-retirement investor, not macroeconomic forecasting. Okay, let's come back to that because, Jan, I presume that's why you're here. Um, Welcome. Um, Because you sit within the equity team. Just to give a bit of background as to your role then in terms of the balanced balanced product. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. My experience um, is in equities. For over 20 years, I've analysed 
locally listed equities. And that is the link that I bring to the multi-asset team. And as Madaleta has described, we really start off uh, the balance fund by picking stocks, investing in companies that we believe have got good management teams, good prospects, and, um, and show the ability to, to allocate capital very well. And the next step then from there, and where myself and Madalit will then sit down, um, is to look at the risks that the fund will pick up by investing in those underlying equities, and then basically use the asset allocation as a risk overlay strategy to, to lay off and manage some of those, uh, those risks. Another way of putting it is, is really to, to make sure that we don't duplicate risks in the portfolio. Uh, for instance, um, you know, owning a lot of banks because you believe that that environment is going to be favorable for, for economic growth and financial activity. Uh, and then also to have a big bond position, uh, which would have similar drivers. So the whole process is built on, you know, looking at what we see uh, to, to be attractive uh, on an equity uh, basis and then using asset allocation to balance the risks for those investments. And that's specifically what happens in the balance fund. Okay, so if I get this right, Jan, the, the equity team at Denka, which you're part of, you know, senior member of that team, you, on a bottom-up basis, come out with the ideas, putting your portfolio together, and Madeleine, you are really working alongside Jan with looking at the, the inherent risks within that portfolio and and trying to mitigate those risks for different scenarios going forward. Is that? That's absolutely. That's okay. It. Could you give us a couple of examples? I mean, you've mentioned a couple of factors there in terms of not you know, duplicating coverage examples. I mean, the, both funds are now five years old. Um, so congratulations on your recent party. I'm sure you had for that. And plenty of cake, hopefully. Um, but Madeleine, you know, maybe just give us some examples of what, what happened, you know, during that five years where you've recognised certain risks within the equity portfolio and you've, you've taken action to mitigate those. I mean, a simple recent example. I mean, I can come up with two very sort of simple examples. But as Jan explained, um, local financials are very sensitive to local economic conditions. So if South African economic prospects improve unexpectedly, your financials will do very well. And if financial conditions deteriorate, your financials will do worse than we expect. And so... We don't pretend to know the future. We have concerns about policy making in South Africa, but we think banks are attractively priced. And so we want to have that exposure in our equity portfolio. But I mean, South Africa every now and again fires a finance minister and replaces him in three days or has three finance ministers in four days. I don't remember exactly how that okay. went. But, you know, these are not the norms, but they are events that can really hurt um, the investor. And so we want to make sure that we have enough exposure to the potential returns these companies offer, which are driven by, as Jan explained, capital allocation, um, moats, returns that these firms can generate. Those are things that we want to buy, but we know that these companies don't operate in isolation. They operate in an environment where there is risk. And so we now try and make sure what other asset classes do we have that would either do well in the environment where South Africa does badly, or if there is another asset class that would behave or would have similar risk exposure, we want to avoid that asset class. So in the example, we haven't owned bonds for a couple of years because we've owned a lot of South African ink. Okay. And, I mean, in fairness, 
we could have had a lot better performance had we not mitigated that risk. Um, but over the five years, taking mitigating steps and banking what you can see has worked. And so we're going to keep with it. Yeah, Nigel, maybe if I can add to that, there was a, a recent article on, on the Balance Fund, I think, in City Wire. And the angle of that piece was basically that this fund didn't own local bonds uh, almost for the last year or so. And the picture was painted as almost an aggressive positioning. And we disagree with the fact that that is an aggressive positioning. Because in our underlying um, SA equity portfolio, uh, we had a big exposure to the SA consumer. And the drivers uh, for those stocks to, to be doing well is very similar to bonds. And you know, not having the bonds is a perfect example of not doubling up on that view that we had that the SA consumer is still in a recovery phase after the, the, the global pandemic. A second example, because I mean, I don't want to just quote on this one example. Sure. So a second sure. example is in the heart of the COVID, when South African property had sold off a lot. We didn't have a big property exposure. We had, I think, 2 or 3% in the balance fund. But actually, we switched out of local property and into global financials. And it wasn't, it was a call on the attractiveness of the asset classes, but also about the risks to the two asset classes. So both of those are interest rate sensitive, different interest rates, but South African interest rates don't move in isolation. And bang for buck, so upside for downside, the opportunity was in global financials, not in local property. So local property has done well. I'm not um, taking that off the table, but we were very happy to have the global financial position and not double up on interest rate exposure with a local property position. So again, another example of deliberately giving up potential returns for avoiding massive exposure to a single macroeconomic variable or risk. Okay, so there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of scenario planning and thinking that goes into the you know, day-to-day construction of the balance portfolio which, as you say, is quite different to the way that a number of other houses would do it in terms of they would focus on a particular macro view and, and potentially go all in on that view, which, as you say, you know, the future's behind the closed door, so very difficult to, um, to, to predict. Okay, that's interesting. And, and just moving on to the stable fund, which, Jan, I think you almost take a step back here because I know that uh, in the stable fund, I'd let you do the equity, manage the equity component slightly differently. Just explain that one. So, I mean, let me just um, say, Jan doesn't really take a step back. He takes a different step. Jan, on both balance and stable, is a fantastic soundboard. Um, and so one must never underestimate the value of the soundboard. So, but yes, on the stable fund, we don't do active equity selection. And it is not because we don't think that we can add value to equity. It is because for the investor with limited equity exposure, the value of that equity alpha is capped. And we think that it is far more valuable to have a low-cost implementation, which is what we do, uh, and that low-cost implementation without any risk drops into the bottom line return for the investor. And that, we think, is more valuable. That certainty is more valuable than the potential for uncertain alpha. Um, So what do we do in the stable fund? Both local and offshore equity, we allocate passively, but it is not through 
it is not through direct scrip. So we don't own the stock. Uh, we essentially own futures, uh, and we're very happy with that approach to um, constructing the low-risk portfolio. Okay. Nigel, maybe we'll just to, yep. to add for, for an investor that is uh, post-retirement and invests directly into this fund, um, this implementation method has got the added benefit that because the fund doesn't earn dividend income, there's no dividend tax applicable. And therefore, if you look at an after-tax return for that type of investor, uh, it's closer to the reported uh, return uh, than other funds might have that okay. actually invest directly in it. Okay, so, that, so, that, so you've got to focus on the tax efficiency of the, of, the, of the structure and the strategy as well as the cost effectiveness of the structure. Exactly. So on that product, we literally try our hardest to implement in a way that results in the most benefit for the client. And that comes through how we construct a portfolio, how we implement trading. Literally everything in that fund is geared to be maximum benefit for the investor. And, and, and then in terms of blending with other asset classes in the stable fund, how does that work? So you've got your, your core equity component. You've talked about how you implement that. Then what do you add so what do we yeah. yeah, so in a low equity mandate, you captured forty percent exposure to equity. We are not currently near forty percent. Okay. The volatility in equity markets, we must remind people. Um, for the investor with the long run horizon, volatility is not that painful. For the investor who might be liquidating or who needs capital near term, volatility can be very painful. So we have limited equity exposure. We're roughly 30% at the moment. And with that, we own local bonds. So again, compared to our balance fund, it is not a comment on the attractiveness of local bonds that we don't own a lot of it in the balance fund. It is a comment on the attractiveness of SA Inc. that we don't own a lot of local bonds in the balance fund. But we can't make that nuanced play in stable. So we own a lot of local bonds, uh, and a lot is in the order of 30%, and roughly half and half inflation linkers and vanillas locally. Okay. So we don't really want to take a view on inflation in Africa. We're trying to maximize the probability of earning the real return on offer in the bond market, and that's in the linkers. And with that, we also have a local cash and an offshore cash component. Now, we often get questions about our offshore cash, and by and large, what is forgotten in the discussion about offshore cash is that offshore cash goes up in value when other asset classes go down in value. So it is a phenomenal negatively correlated asset which provides capital stability for an investor. And we put capital stability very much front in mind in how we construct our portfolios. And yes, when inflation offshore is running 9%, offshore cash seems very expensive, and it is. And so we are looking for alternatives for that position. We have not yet come up with something that offers the same risk return as offshore cash. So, but that And that position has been under review for a while. It's not obvious to replace with what to replace that that provides you with the same risk return profile. Okay, so the, the the two strategies are very different in their in their makeup, but uh, but you know have one big common focus around around risk management, which is um, which is great. Okay, just a bit broader now, conscious of time, but let's. Um, I'm interested in how you integrate with the, the wider Denker team. Um, some people might think you know there's only two of you running multi asset, but actually it's much bigger 
team input than that. Just talk, talk us through that quickly. So Jan doesn't sit in client meetings often, but so he hasn't heard this yet. But I often tell clients that everyone in the business works for me and works for multi-assets, and that's true. Uh, the entire local equity team works in the local equity in the local equity component of the balance fund, and the entire global team has exposure in the balance fund. So all our products are in the balance fund, and so. Every single individual in this business is making a contribution to the balance fund. And um, all our pensions are also in the balance fund. And a number of individuals will come and discuss the portfolio with me um, and probably with Jan as well and looking for ideas and looking for ways to mitigate risks. Um, so everyone in the business works. Uh, we have regular ad hoc as well as regular meetings where we discuss relevant topics. We put different scenarios, different risks on the table and all, and this is mostly a PM discussion. If you have too many heads in a room, not every head is concentrated on the discussion. So we try and limit it to PMs only. And then we really put a number of scenarios on the table. Say, what happens if? What happens if? How do we mitigate? What does this mean for financials? What does this mean for global equity? What does this mean for balanced? What are the opportunities or risks? What's the downside? What's the upside? So every PM in the business at some point in a month, will come and have a conversation with me or with Jan about what do they expect, what do they worry about, uh, and with that, Jan and I will sit down and discuss what do we do um, in the portfolio to make sure we can capture the returns available in the equity processes, but doing so in a way that doesn't expose the client to excessive downside risk sure. okay. or specific macro risk. Okay. Okay. Um, Nigel, maybe just from a practical point of view, it's also useful to know that um, Madelet sits in the team meetings of the local equity uh, grouping, you know, almost a daily basis. She also sits in the, the global equity meetings. And then there are team members in those different teams that also sit in one another's meetings. So we've done a lot of work in the last few years to sort of cross-pollinate and make sure that there's information flow throughout the teams and there's a, a, a common thread to make sure that you know all the uh, experience and um, the benefit of the gray uh, gray heads that work here actually you know find their way into each and every decision that that get, gets made on on every level in the business sure sure okay just finally i mean you're at your well, just past your five-year anniversary you know i'm pleased to say that the you know the performance numbers and especially the risk-adjusted performance numbers look extremely strong. I mean, balanced fund is you know, top decile of all time periods. Um, the stable fund is doing what it says on the tin in terms of, you know, in, in, in uh, periods of market stress, it's really uh, doing a great job in, in protecting capital. So um, so well done to you, to you both on that. But looking back over the five years, anything you would have done differently um, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I think with the benefit of hindsight, and yeah, I would have wanted to have had more exposure to South African equities in the stable fund. Um, I think that is a regret. You know, so we've had limited volatility, which is what we pursue, and that's what we say we want. Um, but perhaps we could have had a little bit more risk in 2021 in that fund. That would have helped returns. Um, so that's, I suppose, one regret that I have. 
You know, the problem with pursuing risk-adjusted returns is that you are always making sacrifices. Have you sacrificed too much? Could you have sacrificed differently? You know, no one knows which risks you took but didn't come to pass. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I suppose in a way, both balanced and stable in a way, present complete regret because if we hadn't done any risk management, those funds would have done much better. But it's not really, in my opinion, something that you can do consistently. That's not the strategy. It's not the strategy, and it's not what I well, and it's not what I believe in. You know, I believe that you should minimise regret and not go all out for the best upside. I I think that there is a reason we diversify, um, and owning a lot of stocks with the same macro drivers is not a diversified portfolio and i mean south africa has a nanny gate not necessarily every night again but you know that can really write off 20 percent of your capital as you're not if you're not diversified and so when when large risks don't come to pass you're going to have regrets and then you realize on the other side of large risks that actually you don't have regrets you've done this right you've you've stayed in the game Sure. Um, and, and that's really what we pursue. So, but yeah. Jan, do you have regrets? Yeah, any thoughts looking back? Yeah, the only thing that I would say is, is that investments have taught me that regrets are often a short-term yeah. phenomenon because, you know, when markets move in a certain way, you always don't have enough or too much of, of anything. But as time then goes by, um, you know, you sort of get to, as you build a track record, um, you know, you actually see the benefit of, um, you know, not being too hasty in making your decisions and having a, a measured approach actually works out uh, over time. So so for me, if you ask me um, in the short term, yes, I'll always say that, uh, you know, I, I wish I had more of this or, or that. But looking back over uh, over the longer term, I, I think, um, you know, um, I don't have too many regrets, certainly not in, in, in the way that uh, that we've been able to manage clients' money in, in these products. Uh, I think we, we've done what we set out to do and, and we should be very happy with that. Yeah, great. Okay, thanks, guys. Absolutely. I think, yeah, um, the you know, results speak for themselves. And um, thank you both for taking some time to, um, to, to be on the pod today. I'll leave you all with one final thought. Um, when you're looking at, Performance numbers, do you look at the absolute performance numbers or do you look at the risk-rated performance numbers? Just a a thought for the day. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting. If you would like to join us again, please subscribe for more investment insights. To find out more about our team and the funds we offer, please visit our website at denkercapital.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Denker Capital. This podcast does not take the circumstances of a particular person or entity into account and is not advice in relation to an investment. Please do not rely on any information without appropriate advice from an independent financial advisor. The value of investments may go down as well as up, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. Denker Capital is an authorized financial services provider in South Africa. Please visit denkercapital.com forward slash disclaimers for the full disclaimer relating to the South African fund mentioned in this episode.